KMTT. Welcome back to KMTT. Today is Thursday, Aleph Nisan, the first day of Chodesh Nisan, Chodesh Aviv, the month of spring. And of course, Chodesh Agula, the month of Chag Pesach, the Nisan Nigalu, and the Nisan Atidin Lehigael. The original Gula, the original redemption was in Chodesh Nisan, the redemption from Egypt. And Chazal say, that the future redemption will take place in Chodesh Nisan as well. I am Ezra Beck, and today's share is in Pashat HaShavua, and as it turns out, it is my turn. And therefore I have no one else to introduce, but I will be giving today's share in Pashat HaShavua, Parshat Vayikra. Today's Pashat, Pashat Vayikra, is the first Pashat of Sefer Vayikra, Sefer Vayikra is called Torah Kohanim, and as we know, most of the Sefer is indeed dealing with the Mikdash, with Korbanot, the other laws having to do with the Kohanim, in other words, it more or less surrounds what we call Avodat Beit HaMikdash, the service of God in the Beit HaMikdash. Pashat Vayikra deals totally with Korbanot. And uh, I would like to discuss today the understanding of what a korban is, at least within the context of the psukim of Sefer Vayikra. The word korban is not as obvious a word, its meaning is not as obvious as we might think. We're used to translating it as sacrifice. The korban is a sacrifice. Lahakriv is to sacrifice. And the word to sacrifice has all sorts of associations in English. We associate with the meaning of giving something up. So therefore someone who would bring a sacrifice, by the very use of that word in English, you're emphasizing that he's losing something. He's he's voluntarily relinquishing something to God, for God. Of course, the etymology of the word lahakriv in Hebrew doesn't carry that connotation, at least not, not semantically. The shavash of lahakriv would appear to mean to come close, karev, so lahakriv means to bring, means to bring something, to bring the korban. The korban is something which is brought, brought close, brought close to God. Uh, even, even in the psukim that we deal with in this in this pasha, the first time that the word uh, uh, korban appears in the very first, in the very very beginning of the of the of the uh, pasha. So it says, Adam ki yakriv mikem. Korban Lashem, he who sacrifices a sacrifice. I'm suggesting that it means to bring a sacrifice. Takrivu Korban Chem. And so Gimel says, Im Ola Korbano Minabaka, if you're bringing a Korban of, uh, of cattle, Zachar Tamim Yakrivenu, you can still translate this as the sacrifice, you should sacrifice it. To the entrance of Oa Moed, he should lahakriv. What does it mean, yakriv oto el petach Oa Moed? He will sacrifice it to, el means to, he will sacrifice it to the entrance of Oa Moed. Offhand, the only translation possible here is that he will bring it to the entrance of Oa Moed. He will bring it up. He will make it close. He will bring it from where it's far away and get close to Oel to Moed. Uh, 
two psukim later in Pasukhei, we begin the actual uh, ceremony of bringing the Koban. Vishachat et ben habakar lifnei Hashem. He slaughters the uh, bull before God. V'hikarivu b'nei Aaron ha'kohanim et adam v'zarku et adam ala mizbech saviv ha'shopetach olnoi. So here you have the word lehakriv used not about the animal but about the blood. V'hikarivu b'nei Aaron ha'kohanim et adam and the and the the sons of Aaron the kohanim will lehakriv the blood and they shall throw the blood on the mizbech on the altar. Saviv ha'shopetach olnoi. I don't think we would say in English that one can sacrifice blood. You understand? This means to sacrifice an animal. What does it mean to sacrifice the blood? Furthermore, what does it mean at all? What is being done here? What is being done is explicitly said in the continuation of the Pasuk. What do you do with the blood? You, you sprinkle it, you throw it on the, on the Mizbech. So what does it actually mean? If it literally means that they should bring the blood close to the Mizbeach from the place where the animal was slaughtered, the Pasuk in the Pshat will make sense. Rashi is concerned about this, about this, this understanding these two verbs, v'hikrivu v'zaku, they should l'hakriv, and they should throw the blood. And Rashi says, based on the Gemara in Zvachim, v'hikrivu zu kabbalah. What is Rashi saying here? There are, according to the Torah Shabbat Peh in Halakha, there are four Four uh, actions that are done as part of hakrava, as part of a sacrifice of a korban. There's shchita, the slaughtering of the animal. Kabbalah, the blood is received into a vessel. Holacha, the blood is brought to the mizbeach. And zrika, the throwing of the blood. So it's necessary to find a derivation where the Pasuk describes four different actions. Shrita is quite explicit. Zrika is quite explicit. There's one verb which appears between Shrita and Zrika, and that's Vehikrivu. Rashi says, Vehikrivu zu Kabbalah. Not what you'd expect. Vehikrivu could be Holacha. That would appear to be a decent and an obvious Pshat. To bring something close means to laholich, to, to bring it. It's almost the same word. Rashi says, no, zu kabbalah, shehi arishona, umashma'a lashon halacha, lamanu shtehen. Rashi says, the pshat really is halacha. The pshat of lahakriv is to bring close, simply to move, to move the blood from where it is. However, we know that halacha eh, of the Torah Shabbat Peh, that it means kabbalah as well. Lamanu shtehen. Both Kabbalah and and Halacha. So here the word Vakrivu simply means to bring something close. This gives us, I think, our first step in understanding what is a Korban. If all Korbanot are called Korbanot, irrespective of what is done later on, there's, there's burning, there's slaughtering, there's throwing the blood, but it's always called a Korban, then a Korban should be understood as something which is brought close to God. Now, the philosophic idea which one could develop and has been developed by many Mephashim is that what's being brought close to God is not necessarily the animal but the person who is bringing it. And we'll have to see how that, how that develops within the Pesukim but that is undoubtedly an extension, a development of the basic idea but the word Lakrib means to, to come close to God. 
if we understand this in context, it begins to give us a, a first step understanding the, the essential necessity of korban. If one brings a korban close to God, it means we're starting from a position of distance. And this, philosophically, in Jewish Machshavah, is a very, very important point. There is a gap, there is a distance between man and God, and the Avodat Beit HaMikdash, the Avodat HaKorbanot, is a method of bridging that distance. What I think the point is, is that by definition, one should not imagine that the natural state of man and God is one of closeness. Because then God is not God. You can be close to an idol, idolatry and paganism places man often very, very close to God. But God, the creator of heaven and earth, creator of all, is by definition distant, a distance exists. The gap between man and God is defined as being huge, perhaps even infinite. God is transcendent. And if he's not transcendent, we would not be worshipping him. And therefore the problem that I think the Pasha is addressing by simple use of the word, it says, Adam ki yakriv, the, the Pasha is addressing what happens when a man comes close to God. How does he do that? How does he bring himself close to God? How does he bridge this gap? And that's the first meaning of the word korban. What I'd like to investigate is the details. What exactly in the bringing of a korban brings man close to God. The Ramban, in the beginning of the Pasha, Pasuk Tet, let me read Pasuk Tet before we read the Ramban. It's the last Pasuk of this first section. The first section is describing Allah, Mina Bakar, a Koban, which is called the Koban Allah, which is defined halachically as all of it is burnt. Nothing is eaten by either the Kohen or the, uh, or the person who brought it. So that's the first section here, and this is a Ola from Bakar, an Ola which is a which is a bull. And the Pasuk describes, the Pasuk we already read, the blood is thrown on the Mizbeach, then the animal is, is cut up into pieces. Remember, the blood was thrown on the altar. Now they place fire on the altar. Wood is arranged. The animal's parts are placed on that fire, on the wood which is on the fire. Or is burnt on the autumn. Ola means it goes up, something which goes up. A, a fire, a fire offering which is a pleasant a pleasant odor before God. Words which are very difficult to understand. The Ramban, it uses this Pasuk to discuss the meaning and reason for Kolbanot. A meaning from the Ramban. The Ramban first quotes the Ramban, which we're not going to discuss. Ramban has a particular understanding of Kolbanot based on historical perspective of Abu Dazara, of idolatry in ancient times. Ramban doesn't like that interpretation and says the following. He thinks the better interpretation is It's better in his eyes to accept the reason which is given. He doesn't say who gives it. It's basically based on the Ibn Ezra. What is that? Ki. 
בעבור שמעשי בני אדם נגברים במחשבה ובדיבור ומעשה. Human actions are dependent, are, are derived from thought, speech and action. Therefore God has commanded that when a man sins and he brings a korban, he should place his hands on it, parallel to action, in other words, his hands are involved, because there's an element of action. Someone who brings a sacrifice confesses over the sacrifice his sin, that's against speech. The part that's burnt is the inner parts of the behemah, the inner parts of the animal, including the kidneys, which the Ramban says uh, represents thought and desire. And he goes on in details. The legs, the limbs. He's burning the limbs of the animal which are parallel to his hands and feet. Which do all his actions. And he throws the blood on the altar because the blood is like his soul. What is the purpose of all this? That a man should think when he does when he does these things that he has sinned to God with his body and his soul, and it would be appropriate that his blood should be spilled. And his body should be burnt, were it not for the mercy of God, who takes in its place the korban, which is blood instead of blood. In other words, the blood of the animal instead of his blood. Nefesh tachat nefesh. And a soul, a life, instead of his life. And the rashay evreha korban, and the limbs of the animal, instead of his limbs. What is, the, what is the idea that Ramban is expressing here? That the basic meaning of a korban is the korban represents a, an exchange, a substitute for the man himself. The idea that Ramban is expressing is that one brings a korban, what one is doing is one is sacrificing oneself. One is giving up one's own blood, one's own fat, one's own meat, one's own limbs, which is appropriate because man has sinned, but the mercy and grace of God allow one to replace this aspect with a substitute. The most dramatic part, Ramban says this about everything about a Korban. He explicitly talks of the meat, the limbs, the inner portions, the blood, but the last point is really the clearest. Because the Torah repeatedly says that blood is life. In fact, the prohibition of eating blood is explained because dam is life. Dam shohu and is always connected to sacrifices. The blood of an animal is brought as a sacrifice and you may not eat it for the blood is its life. So although, again, the Ravant says this about every aspect of the Korban, the place where it's, it's, it's most clear and most well-based in the language that the Torah repeatedly uses is the 
throwing of the blood on the Mizbeach. When man does that, he is basically giving up his own life. Now, this is, this is very different than the idea that I opened up with. A man wants to come close to God. Hey, you're not coming close to God, you're, you're symbolically destroying yourself. You're saying, since I sinned, and the Ramban explicitly says that we're talking about a sin, not all korbanot are brought for sin, but the man is thinking of a korban chatat. And perhaps other korbanot are also no explicit sin, but in, his, in the back of the man's mind, you bring a korban because you feel inadequate. A person who has sinned has to say to God, I am nothing, I'm worthy of death. But you will accept this in its place. And the Ramban commends this explanation of korbanot. And what I'm saying is, and I'm not agreeing with Ramban 100% here, I'm saying the Ramban's explanation makes the most sense about, not so much on Pasuk Tet, where he expressed it, but on the Pasuk we began with, Pasuk Hey, V'zarku et Adam ala Mizbeach Saviv asher petach oran moed. The throwing of the blood. Sacrifices are intimately connected with blood. In fact, what I mentioned in the beginning, the halachic definition of the four avodot are all, they're called by Chazal, avodot adam, and that's what they do. You slaughter, which is spilling the blood, you receive the blood in a vessel, you walk with the blood to the Mizbech, and you throw the blood on the, on the Mizbech. Halachically, this is not explicit in the Pasuk, but halachically, if you do that, the Koban is accepted. Yatsa Yedei Chova, Kapara, the atonement aspect of a Koban, is achieved when you do the Zrikat Adam al Gabay Mizbech, when the blood is thrown on the Mizbech. If you've done that, even if everything else goes wrong, the, the portions which need to be burnt disappear, they get lost, the person who had to bring the Koban has fulfilled his obligation. So this fits in very well, I think, with the Ramban scheme. But, what about the second part of a Koban? In our own heads, we say you bring a Koban, you bring a sacrifice. What are you bringing on? You bring an altar. If I asked you, what is an altar? I think everybody would say, an altar has this fire, and on the altar things burn. Zrikat Adam does not relate to the fire. The Pasuk I read beforehand, the blood is thrown in Pasuk Hay, only in Pasuk Zayin, in the seventh Pasuk, does it say that Natnu B'nei Aaron HaKohen Eish Alamizbech. There was no fire, necessarily. Nothing was burning on the altar when the blood was thrown. The fire is for the meat, or for the fat. If we look later on and see which portions are sacrificed, so a very prominent part of all sacrifices, in fact, all sacrifices included, the minimum is chalef, parts which are fatty. That's what the fire is for. In our own minds, we would tend to think that's the main part of a sacrifice. Perhaps we're wrong. Perhaps we misinterpret it. The Gemara dwells at length in the halachic significance of Zrikat Adam. But the Pasuk, which Ramban in fact cites because it seems to be a summation of what happens, is about the burning of meat on the fire. The Koban is called an Allah because it's burned, it goes up. That's where its name comes from. It's called an Isheh because it's being burnt. And the part that says Reach Nichoach Lashem. It's very strange, an intriguing phrase. A pleasant smell before God, that goes on the, on the fire, on the part that's being burnt. That's not said about the throwing of the blood. 
So what is the significance of I think the answer is found, it's a very simple point which you have to pay attention to, it's very easy to overlook it. What does the word vehiktir mean? In context it means to burn. Haktara, the action called haktara is the burning of the parts of the animal on, on the mizbeach. But, of course, it doesn't mean the same as the srof, which is literally to burn. For instance, if parts of a korban are left over beyond the, the date on which they may be eaten, different korbanot eaten in, either in one day or in a day and a half, whatever is left over is called the notar, leftover. What do you do with notar? Yisrofu, it's burned. Another example, coming up in a week and a half, chametz bepesach. Before Pesach, what do you do with chametz? You burn it. You would never say Notar Never would the Torah say that you maktir Notar You sorefotar Sreifa is a negative thing To get rid of something you burn it Laktir is not a negative thing If you want to get rid of something you don't laktir otar Laktir means you It definitely has a positive positive notion to it We, we hear the positiveness Laktir you laktir to something You laktir the meat to God what does the word laktir mean literally? The shoresh, katar, kuf, tet, resh, means smoke. There are two kinds of haktaran Torah. One is haktarat korbanot. The other one is haktarat aktorot, which is incense that's being burnt in the Beit HaMikdash and it produces smoke. The word katar means smoke. And therefore lahaktir means to turn something into smoke. Of course you do that by burning it. I agree. But the emphasis is not on the flames. The flames are there beforehand. Notice the Pasuk, what the Pasuk says. Which I've read it already twice. They, the Kohanim should put fire on the Mizbeach and put wood on the fire. And then you put the animal parts on the wood that's on the fire. Asher ala Mizbeach. Now, obviously, practically speaking, it would be very difficult to light a behemoth, to light meat. You have to make a big fire out of wood and then do it. I agree that's true. But the Pasuk is emphasizing that the Kohanim make fire. Then they simply place the pieces of animal on top of the wood which is on the fire. You never find the word that they should light the animals. There's a fire on the Mizbech. But what they are doing is It goes up in fire. But the, the, the action, placing fire is one action, and doing haktarat, turning something into smoke is another action. What is the meaning? Why would the Torah say that one turns korbanot into smoke, one turns meat into smoke? So it seems to me clear that the idea being expressed here, and all I'm doing is I think, I think all I'm doing is saying pshat in a word. Pshat in a word which we've tended not to pay attention to its literal meaning. Just like lahakriv. The literal meaning means to come close and not to sacrifice. Laktir. The literal meaning is to turn something into smoke and not to burn it. Why does the Torah say that we should turn korbanot into smoke? It seems to me that clear that the idea being expressed here is turning something physical into something spiritual. Now we're all well educated. We know that smoke is, is also physical. It consists of uh, carbon compounds and water, water vapor. But still, in terms of the symbolism in terms of the kind of physicality that smoke has, it's the closest thing you can get to spiritual and still be something that you can see with your eyes. 
And the smoke eventually disappears. It dissipates. And it goes up. It has all the elements which, if it's possible to visualize, turning the physical, something you can hold in your hands, a piece of meat, a piece of an animal, and turning it into spiritual, one does that, in fact, by setting it on fire and watching the smoke go up to God. The word reyach, which means smell, is also the word ruach, which means spirit, means wind, it means spirit. And, and Chazal treat reyach as being the most spiritual, physical, of physical senses. Right? When the, the, uh, when the neshama yitera, when the soul, the extra soul departs Mutzay Shabbat, you, you, you give it a little bit of extra feeling on its way out by smelling what we call b'samim. So, reyach is ruach and the ruach comes from the ashan and the ashan comes from the behema. I think the idea that's being expressed in this part of Korbanot. Korbanot basically has two parts. Melechet Hadam, the sprinkling of the blood, which is clear to me, is the Ramban symbolism of spilling your own blood. And Haktarat Evarim, that burning of the Evarim, but the smokeification, if I may make up my own word, the smokeification of the animal, of the physicality and an animal specifically is, represents the raw physicality of our existence, of our own existence. So if the dam is the nefesh, the dam is my spiritual existence, the, the animal's flesh is my own physical, or the world's physical existence. And a korban turns that into spiritual. In other words, here we're closer to the original meaning that we described in korban. It's a bridge between the physical world in which we live and the spiritual world, the world of God, to which we aspire. So I think we have two separate ideas present in Kobanot. Pasuk Hey and Pasuk Tet. Every Korban has Zrikat Adam and every Korban has Haktara of something, Haktara of some of the physical parts, the minimum, that which is brought in the Korban Shlamim, where most of the Shlamim is eaten by the people who brought, by the man who brought the Korban, but the part that's burnt is the fats, the chayver. And and I once heard a very idea, which I think it's maybe only symbolic, but I think I think it's probably true, that the dam represents the quickness of man, it's the life of man, the spirit. Uh, blood is, is is flowing, and we use we think of someone who has a lot of blood means he's very active. And and fat is sluggish. Fat is the is the gashmiyot. It's the physicality. And the slowness, the, 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 the coarseness, which is associated with anything which is both, at both, both alive, but has that aspect to it, to its life. This, I think, explains an idea which is worked by the mind in, in other places. And it's based on one or two uh, lines in the Gemara that Korbanot, especially the daily Korban, the Korbanot Tamid, is the parallel and the cause of God's giving bracha to the world, specifically Parnassah. Every day, two korbanot, Tamid Shacharit and Tamid Ben Ha'arbayim, the morning Tamid and the afternoon Tamid was born in the Mikdash, and in, in parallel to that, God sent a, a physical good to the world. 
you bring up a korban and if it rains on your crops. What's the connection? I mean, you can say about any mitzvah. If you do a mitzvah, that will be good to you. But what's the, 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 the technical connection between korbanat tamid and, and, and physical good substance and sustenance to, to the world? So I think what we just said is the idea. If we have turned the physical world into the spiritual, we bridged our world to the world of God, then that bridge works in both directions. When it rains from heaven, of course, the 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 uh, uh, the idea, the picture of rain coming from heaven, is more than anything else expresses the idea of something physical coming down from from heaven, from 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 above, from the spiritual. Again, we all know that water doesn't come out of the sky, so to speak. It comes out of clouds, and the clouds come from the ocean. I agree, but the the picture of God opening up His heavens and sending down rain on us is that somehow God's spiritual existence is the cause of, in the end, water and, and wheat and things that grow from the ground. So we take things from the ground and we turn them into smoke and God takes things from the heaven and turns it into, into ground, turns it into earth, turns it into, into water, which ultimately sustains, sustains life. All this, all I've read is the first nine psukim, these ideas are repeated over and over again in each individual korban that's in the Pasha. You have korban Ola in two versions. Then you have korban Mincha. Then you have korban eh, eh, Shlamim. Then you have korban Chatat, the korban Hasham. And they have different ideas and different aspects, but all of them have this basic structure. And each time the Pasuk repeats it, both these things. First of all, get the dam and throw it on the Mizbeach. And two, take those parts, either all or part, which will be burnt, place on the Mizbeach, vehiktir hakohen. At, 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 at Hakol or some other parts but the Hiktir Alam is Beach and that's the Reach Nichoch Isher Reach Nichoch Lashem the part that becomes the literally pleasant smell Ruach Reach the thing which 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 come out what does it mean Reach again it's a, it's a it's a metaphor but God so to speak smells the Korban it means that you manage to get something up towards God and he so to speak ingests it I think we have to send them metaphorically, of course, but we've turned the physical thing into something which can be smelled, which can be ingested by God. And that idea is the parallel and complement to the idea that is explained by the Ramban, that by throwing the blood on the Mizbeach, we have not turned the physical into the spiritual, but we've indicated that we ourselves are, should be spilled. Our blood, he, Ramban says that throwing the blood is spilling the blood. Mishpach Damo, he says. Our blood is spilled because of who we are in relationship to God. But then we have another role altogether of being the bridge between this physical world so distant to God, so transcendent, so that one and the second, both man and God, the world and God, form a unity of sustenance and and spirituality. Today's Halachai Yomit. We will get into Shmon Esra a little bit later, actually after Pesach. So we're sort of skipping to the to after Shmon Esra in the sense of what do you do if you find all of a sudden that you're davening and you realize you're already davened? Probably doesn't happen to young people. 
But it does happen to people. It happens to me. Sometimes when you've, uh, you're used to having at a certain time, and for some reason you've daven earlier, you catch an early minion, and then you forget, you go the regular time, and you wind up davening again. So the Gemara says, in Davchaf Aleph, in Barachot, Amar Rabbi Yehuda Mashmuel, Haya Omed, Betfila, Beniskar, Hitpalel, you're in the middle of davening, and you remember that you already davened, Posek, Vafilu, Be'emtza, you stop. Even in the middle of a bracha, you stop, you finish, you finish davening. And that's what's, that's the, that's the psak of the Shulchan, of the Shulchan Aruch. Now, the Gemara has a statement, the name of Yochanan, Halavai Shit Padel Adam Kol Hayom Kulo. On the basis of that statement of Yochanan, we have a institution called Tfilat Nedava. The person's allowed to have an extra Tfilat. It's true, the post can say that one shouldn't daven in tefillat and dava, one should not daven a voluntary tefillah, and the reason is because we don't daven with kavana, and therefore you may be better off not. Enough that we daven the tefillah which we have to daven, and the kavana is not so good. But to daven extra tefillah and daven without kavana will really be scandalous, will really be an affront to God. But where you have to daven, there's a reason to daven, those you hear you in the middle of Shemon Esrei. And if you stop now, then all the brachot you said till then become a brachal of atala. So our natural inclination is to find some way of finishing Shmona and Tfilat Nedava would offer a, an option. Nonetheless, the poskim, almost all paskim, that one does not complete the Shmona one stops immediately. And the explanation given is that since you began the Tfilah as a Tfilat Chova, not as a tefillat nedava. You began it as an obligatory davening, and not as a voluntary davening. You can't change it in the middle. Just to explain this sentence, from this we learn that the difference between an obligatory shmonesrei and a voluntary shmonesrei is not merely in whether you have to do it or you don't have to do it. It's the nature of the shmonesrei, what we call in in in, in brisker talk, it's the chetz of the tefillah, a, a shmonesrei that's chova and a shmonesrei that's nedava are two different Shmon Esrei's. And therefore, if you began the tefillah because you thought it should be Chova, you cannot switch it in the middle. It's too late to switch in the middle. You also can't complete it because you're not Chayav. And therefore, you have to stop right away. There are poskim who disagree. The Rashba and the Tshuva uh, disagreed and thought that according to Yochanan, you could complete the tefillah as a tefillah Nadava. And the Ravid as well, in Hasaga on the Rif, Rabbi also says that one can complete the tefillah. But almost all poskim are against it, and the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, and other poskim, that one does not complete the tefillah, one ends it immediately. There is one exception, that's the Rambam. The Rambam says that this is true. However, tefillah arvit is different. If you were davening mayiv, and you remembered that you had already davened, then you can complete the Shmon Esrei as a tefillah nedava. What's the logic? The logic is simple. Tefillat Ma'ariv is defined as being reshut, as being non-obligatory. The Gemara says, we pass in that Arvit, two Tefillat Vachovah, but Arvit is reshut. Now even though the Minagiz, Am Yisrael, has accepted upon itself to daven Ma'ariv as well, therefore you don't have the option of not davening. It's not non-obligatory in the actual practical sense. However, in theory, the nature of the Tefillah is that it's voluntary. Once again, this is based on the point I made before. If, since today it's obligatory, so what does it mean 
that Arbit is Rishut. But as we pointed out, no, it's the nature of the Tefillah. And as Salvechik explained, that today Ma'ariv is obligatory because Amisal accepted upon itself to Daven Ma'ariv, but what they accepted to Daven is the Tefillah Tarashut. It's an obligatory, meaning you have to do it, but it's a Tefillah Rishut. The nature of the Tefillah is a, still a Tefillah Rishut, which you have to Daven. Because Rishut and Chovah are not merely whether you have to or you don't have to, but is the the character, the nature of the tefillah. And therefore, according to the Rambam, tefillah ma'ariv remains vishut, although you have to do it. And therefore, in the middle, you can finish it because you don't have this internal contradiction between the beginning, which was chovah, and the end, which was which was vishut. This halacha, the Rambam, is not quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, even though the Beit Yosef did quote it. And he, in fact, he quoted it without disagreement. But in the Shulchan Aruch, it's not quoted in this engenders a great machloket among the Yachonim, how one should paskin. Has the Shulchan Aruch paskin against the Rambam? One of the reasons might be that it may be true that the Ravid disagrees with the Rambam. There's an unclear Ravid, a saga the Ravid, a comment of the Ravid on that Rambam. Or did he just not write it for some other reason? And therefore, the many, some poskim say you can paskin like the Rambam, and some poskim say one does not paskin like the Rambam. In other words, some poskim say that you could complete an additional ma'ariv if you caught yourself in the middle, and some say that you cannot. The bottom line, since the Rashba disagreed with the entire halacha, he thinks you can complete any tefillah. And here the Rambam says, in any event, ma'ariv you can complete. So some poskim think that you can learn the Rambam, although it might be best to also you should add something private to make it necessary for this tefillah to have taken place. And then you can perhaps rely on the Rambam. That's how some contemporary poskim paskin. Although again, it would appear to be, it might be against the Shulchan Aruch. No, the Shulchan Aruch doesn't say the Rambam is wrong, he just doesn't mention it. So there's this very, this unclarity as to how the great poskim paskin, and this machloket actually remains in force till today. But some poskim think that uh, if this happens to you and you really don't want to end in the middle, so you can rely on the Rambam and in the background as well, the Rashba who described the entire halacha, and you can complete it as a tefillat, tefillat nedava. That's it for today. Tomorrow we'll be back with the Arab Shabbat program for Shabbat Vayikra. Uh, Until then, wishing you kol tov, bekat, ha-Torah, mitzion. This has been Ezra Beck, and this has been KMTT. Ki mitzion teitzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Mirushalayim.